0: Good afternoon, everyone. I'm PCT Senior Digital Editor Brad Harbison, and welcome to our podcast today. So, one of the pest stories that have made headlines recently were reports of large parachuting spiders falling from the sky. And the spiders in question are the invasive Joro spiders, which were first identified in the US and Georgia about 10 years ago. And one of the reasons why they've made such big headlines recently is because of reports that they'll be expanding northward throughout the East Coast, which of course includes large metropolitan areas. So, here to talk about the invasive Joro spiders is Mark Potzler, the technical services manager for Ehrlich Pest Control, which is part of Renekill. Mark, thanks for joining me today.
1: Absolutely, Brad. Thanks for having me
0: on. Mark, to begin with, when did you start uh, taking an interest in Joro spiders? Well, I first heard about them
1: about a year ago. Um, like you said, they were introduced, it, it's believed they were introduced in 2013, 2014, somewhere around there. They haven't really Gotten a lot of notoriety until the last couple few years when their population started to explode in the North Georgia area. So I heard about it about a year ago, actually on a Facebook group that I'm on. Um, can I mention the name of the group? Sure, go ahead. All right, it's it's Pest Cemetery. You now it's, yeah. it's a pretty good one. Some some good folks on there. Absolutely. So I saw some pictures and heard people talking about it. I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. That that is a big spider. So started digging into it a little bit and see what I could find out about it. Uh, Especially when the news was saying they were going to spread up the East coast. You know, I want to know about this one before it gets anywhere close to me.
0: Mark, uh, like you said, you've been digging into it a little bit. Um, tell us a little bit about it. What are some of the spiders defining physical attributes?
1: So I think the biggest thing that people are going to realize is this is a huge spider. Um, the, the females in particular, the leg span can get up to about four inches across. Now, this is an orb-weaving spider, so you're not likely to see it running across the floor or running across your yard. It's going to build a big web. You know, some of the webs have been recorded up to about 10 feet across with a four-inch wide spider in the middle of it. So if that's not impressive enough, if you're brave enough to get close to it, it's actually a really attractive animal. You know, the, the body will get up to about an inch long. The, the carapace of the cephalothorax or the head for anyone new to the industry um, that has that's covered with some shiny silver hairs. The thorax is about a, you know up to about an inch long or so it's tubular in shape very brightly colored it's yellow and black banded and on the underside of it there's a bright red spot in there so very very colorful you know the long the legs are very long they're slender they're black with some bright, orangish color bands on there. So it's very striking spider uh, males, a little bit small, or quite a bit smaller. It's about a quarter of the size and a lot more nondescript, but that's what we should look for in midsummer.
0: And then what about the spiders behavior? I mean, did they really parachute as some of the press and social media reports?
1: Uh, gotta love the media for taking a fact and really, really embellish it. So yes, Joro spiders do parachute as spiderlings. So it's a trait that's common across the entire family of orb weavers. The young ones will let out a long strand of silk shortly after they hatch out of the egg, and they let out the silk until the wind takes it and carries them away. The adult spider is way too big, way too heavy for a parachuting type behavior to take hold, so we're not going to have four inch wide spiders dropping out of the sky we're going to have spiders that are a couple millimeters across being carried on the wind. Most people won't even see that as it's blowing through the yard. So yes, they do parachute. No, it's not what people are expecting.
0: And you mentioned their orb weavers. So, I mean, how, how do these spiders compare with some of the other common orb weavers that pest management professionals might encounter?
1: Well, to begin with, they're not, they haven't set up a reputation yet to be highly attracted to structures. I'm I'm up in the northeast. We have a thing called the bridge spider or the gray cross spider. Super, super common. Anywhere there's a lake or a river or a waterfront nearby, and they will just coat the outside of a building with orb webs, and it just looks like a Halloween decoration. This spider hasn't developed that characteristic yet. We don't know if it will, but we don't suspect it will. It's closely related to the golden silk spider, which is you know, from the tropics of North America, you know, Central America, I should say, it's worked its way up into the Southern part of the country uh, all the way up to the Carolinas, maybe a little North from there, I believe. So it's similar to that. And that's not highly associated with buildings. I don't expect that this one is going to be either, but it will create webs. It will sometimes attach them to the side of a house or to a deck or out in the yard where it's going to be in people's way. So we can expect that, but I don't expect that this is going to be much in the way of a structural pest, more of a yarded property type pest.
0: So Mark, we understand that these spiders are native to Southeast Asia and were first reported in Georgia eight to 10 years ago, and they've since been spotted in other areas of the South. How do you think that they arrived here and what has allowed them to thrive in the South?
1: Well, it's believed that they arrived in cargo, much like any of the other invasive species that we have, like the brown marmorated stink bug, the kudzu bug. They were just brought in by accident. Um, that's what it's believed, at least. You know, there's, there's no way to tell for sure. Um, what has allowed them to thrive as well as they have so far is the area of the country that they got introduced to is very similar to the climate that they're native to. Um, they, they range from India through Korea, Vietnam, China, and up into Japan. So their native habitat is a very wide expanse of different types of climates and environments. So the fact that they landed in Georgia, where there's not much in the way of freezing temperatures, they're perfectly fine there, but they also live in Japan where it gets down into sub freezing temperatures. So that's why it's believed that they're going to spread up the coast and be perfectly happy in well, even up into the Northeast. As opposed to the South American relative, which has moved up into the Southeast, uh, the, the golden silk spider, that's probably not going to move much further north than it is because it is restricted by its slower metabolism and less cold tolerance.
0: Yeah, and that sort of dovetails into my my next question. You know, the again, the reason why I was making headlines is because the experts thought it. Uh, it's got the, the potential to spread northward up, up throughout the East Coast where there's, you know, larger population areas. Um, why do the experts believe that, that it has uh, the potential to spread northward?
1: So the joro spider has a much higher metabolism than its, you know, South American cousin. Um, we, scientists believe that that will allow it to handle a colder temperature. Now, these only last for about a year. They've got about a year lifespan on them. But the fact that they're, they do have that higher metabolism, the eggs are able to survive freezing temperatures throughout the winter. Um, that sets them up very nicely for a you know northern, you know from a southern to a northern range.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mark, I want to kind of approach this a little bit from the the pest management, the pest management professional's perspective. Um, you know, what is? Can you talk a little bit about what is Renikill spider control? Uh, protocols and best practices, and how would your team go about eliminating these spiders and excluding future spiders? That's
1: a tough question to answer. So let me start out with our what well, what we would do for spiders for you know a typical residential setting. You know these are outdoor spiders, almost exclusively outdoor spiders. Chances of finding them inside are negligible. So let's treat them as an outside only pest in a case like this using any kind of residual product is going to be almost useless there's not much point to it because they're not on a surface long enough to to really make it worthwhile during a spray so this is going to be more of a treat it as you find it pest which means you're you're using a a contact spray if if any spray at all you know mechanical control might work just as well but at the most a contact spray to kill the spider a Webster or something along those lines to knock the web down. Now, a residual spray on the side of a building might help. There are some products that will work against, you know, web building practices. There are some residual products that might kill a spider as if it crosses it, but we have to treat this as more of a, you know, we see a spider, we react to it. There, there's not much in the way of preventive practices that I think are going to help too much here.
0: And then if you're... Technicians get questions about these from customers or the the public at large. What is the message that they should share?
1: Well, probably the most important thing is that this is not a dangerous spider. It's big. It's scary looking for sure. But it's venom is not known to be harmful to humans or other vertebrates. And it just it's behavior in general. It's not likely to bite a person. So first off, customers should not be afraid of the spider. But We understand that a pest is only a pest because of someone's perception. So if the customer needs us to take care of this creature for them, we absolutely will. I mean, that's what we're here in the industry for is to help our customers out. So we will absolutely take care of the situation for them. They let us know they've got a problem. We'll come out and we'll address the problem. It's not something that's going to require power spraying the yard. It's go out there, spot treat, knock the webs down, and, you know, take it from there.
0: Yeah. We get a lot of reports about invasive pests and and concerns what they do to the ecology, the environment. Should these spiders be considered an invasive pest concern?
1: Well, they're definitely an introduced species. Even though they've been here for almost 10 years, they're just starting to build up a noticeable population and starting to spread. We have no idea what the what these spiders are gonna do to the ecosystem. So it's not going to be a tidal wave type of pass the way the kudzu bugs are and the way the brown marmored stink bugs are because those feed on plant material. They have an unlimited food source and they can build up huge populations very quickly. This is a predator in any ecosystem. The predator's population is regulated by the amount of prey. And this is a build a web and wait for food to come by a spider you're not gonna see huge population. You're not gonna see a yard completely covered in webs with these things. So it's a tricky situation um, as to whether or not an eradication effort is needed to eliminate the spider from the continent. I don't think it's worth it. We don't know yet what it's going to do to the ecosystem. At most, it might outcompete some of our native spiders, some of our native orb weavers, but I don't think it's gonna drive flies to extinction. As much as we would love that to happen,
0: you (laughs) you probably won't. Do you think that this pest represents an opportunity for pest control business, or would it be sort of minimal?
1: I don't see this as being a huge moneymaker for us.
0: You know, it's something
1: that we can do to help our customers out when they have a concern with it, but it's not the next bed bug.
0: Uh, Well, Mark, that's all I had for you, but uh, thanks again for joining me. Absolutely, Brad. Thank you for having me on. And uh, for our listeners, uh, thanks for joining us today and have a great day, everyone.